We are in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start reading from verse 14. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. And we covered some of this last time, but we're going to, we're going to just overlap a little bit. So this is, so, so what's happened is, is the Lord, the Lord God has confronted Adam and, and the woman who's soon to be named Eve. He's, he's confronted them with their, their sin. And remember what he had said to them in Genesis chapter 2. He said, on the day that you eat that fruit, you will die. What does that mean? It means it has to happen. When God said it, it has to happen. When the Word of God says something, it has to come true. On the day that you eat of it, you will die, he said. And, and so here they ate of it. They didn't die physically, but there was a dying spiritually. And the rest of us suffer from that same death. And now he's confronting, first of all, the serpent for deceiving Eve. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. So he says to the serpent, so the serpent was upright and erect, and now from this point on he's going to be on his belly. And we know, we read the verses last week from the book of Revelation, that this serpent of old, it says, is Satan. And so we, we know exactly that from, from the book of Revelation. We don't know that from the Old Testament itself. But we do know that from the book of Revelation. And it says that because you have done this, so already Satan has been thrown down because of disobedience, as we, we read previously in the book of Isaiah. But now, because of what he did here in deceiving his woman, this woman, he is cursed. He says, Cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust will be you will eat all the days of your life. So he curses this serpent. You will see that he never curses the man and the woman. If he cursed us, we'd be in big trouble. He never cursed human beings. But he curses here, here, here the, the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity, <clears throat> that means a discord, I will put enmity between you and and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he will bruise you on your head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So he specifically says that between the serpent and the woman, I will put enmity. So so there is a special enmity, a special discord between the devil and women. How do we know that? Because it says it. He says, I will do this and between your seed and, her, and, and, and his seed. I, I, I mean, between your seed, the devil, and her seed, he says. Now, the seed means from the offspring. Throughout the scriptures, starting in the Old Testament, the seed always came through the man. So Jewishness, for example, always throughout the Old Testament came through the man, not through the woman in the Old Testament. If you speak to a Jew today, they will say that Jewishness comes through the mother and not through the father. But if you look at the Old Testament, it was always through the father and not through the mother. 
what happened was in in somewhere like around 200 or 300 AD there were so many Jewish women that were being raped they didn't know who the father was so the rabbis themselves said we're going to count Jewishness through the mother and that's why Jews today will say oh Jewishness comes through the mother but they themselves now rabbis know this but most Jews don't know this that that was just a concession because they didn't know who fathers were. But scripturally, it was always through the Father, through the Father the seed came forth. And if that were not the case, then, then David himself would not be a Jew. And his children, and, 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 and Solomon's son, would not be a Jew, and yet he was king, Rehoboam. David's great-grandmother was Ruth a Moabitess. So it always came through the Father. It wasn't actually until the New Testament when Paul said to Timothy, your mother is a Jew, your father is a Greek, you need to be circumcised. So Paul was the first one who said that Jewishness could come through the mother or the father. And so it's a little disconcerting to my Jewish friends when I say, oh yeah, the New Testament was the first place that it was proclaimed that Jewishness could come through the mother and they're shocked. But that's right, Paul did that in about 60 AD. And it was much later than that that the rabbis uh, took hold of that policy that it was through the mother. But always biblically it was through the father. Now why would he say through the woman's seed? Because throughout the Old Testament, seed always came through the father. And that's because the Messiah is going to be born of a woman but have no earthly father. And we don't learn about that until the book of Isaiah Many thousands of years later, after this event, in the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, says that a virgin will be with child. And this is the prophecy. As soon as there was a fall, as soon as there was a fall, God made a way for a redemption. This is, this is something that, that, that is very encouraging to me. Because I blow it so many times. And as soon as I blow it, there is a Redeemer there. God, on that very day that they died spiritually, that there was a spiritual death, that they died on that very day, He promised the Redeemer. And it was through the seed of the woman. And it says, your seed and her seed. So who is the seed of the serpent? Who is the seed of of the devil? The seed of the devil is the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is going to arise in the end time. And, and uh, uh, that's spoken about both in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament and also in the book of Revelation. And so the Antichrist will be the seed of the devil. And, and uh, uh, it speaks about the Antichrist's mother. He will be born of a woman. And actually, Bible scholars will say that it points toward being born of, of, a, of a woman of Roman origin. And uh, uh, the Antichrist will be born that way. And there will be enmity between the seed of the woman, this woman, which is the Messiah, Jesus, and the Antichrist. And there will be a, a, a battling there, and he is going to crush the head of the enemy. And that's why in the New Testament it says, God is going to crush the devil under your feet. He speaks of that crushing that's going to occur. <clears throat> and the bruising took place on the cross. And then he says, now in verse 16, he addresses the woman. Now he addresses the woman for her sin in listening to the enemy. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. 
Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So we discussed some of this last time. So he never negates the Edenic covenant, the covenant that he gave them to be fruitful and multiply. But he underscores it here. But he says, now it's going to come with pain upon you. He says, your husband is going to rule over you. So remember, this is part of the penalty. Your husband is going to rule over you. It was never intended that way from the beginning. Yet your desire will continue to be for him. And then in verse 17, so now we're picking up where we left off last time. Then to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife. So if we go back up and we look at what was Adam's excuse for doing this. So that is, that is in, in, verse, in verse 11 of that same chapter. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. So he confesses, I ate. And, and just before that, the woman confesses, or just after that, the woman confesses that she ate, but not without excuses. And that's the way we always are. We, we may confess, but it's going to be excuses. The excuses were the woman that you gave me. So he blames the woman and he blames God. If you, God, had not given me this woman, this never would have happened. And so, so this is, this is in fact what people do. We often blame God. We blame God for the problems that we have. Uh, so th- this is something that, that, that actually people are very good at. Remember in Proverbs chapter 19 verse 3, it says, the foolishness of man ruins his way and his heart rages against God. So we destroy our own lives and then we get angry with God. Why did you let this happen to me? Nothing to do with me. I mean, you went your own way. But we blame God. This is exactly what Adam did. So Adam is deflecting some of this. And he says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. So so we can never say, oh, well, my friend told me to take these drugs, so I did. No, we are responsible for our actions. We always want to claim victimhood. We want to claim I'm the victim here. No, and God redirects this. He says, no, you're not the victim. You disobeyed. It comes right back to us. Our sin, we are responsible for. We can't say, oh, the poor fellow grew up in a rough environment. You know, it's expected that he grow up in a life of crime. There's many people that grow up in, in, in rough environments that don't grow up in, <clears throat> with lives of crime. Each person is responsible for their own sin. He said to him, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So you see, he doesn't curse the man. He cursed the serpent. He doesn't curse the woman, nor does he curse the man. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And here he proclaims upon man, you are going to undergo now a physical death. That very day he took of it, he underwent a spiritual death, He said to him, you're also going to undergo a physical death. Prior to that, 
He had never spoken of physical death. It was on that day that death came to all men. It was on that day that the proclamation came. And he says, he said to him that the ground is now cursed because of you. Now you're going to work the land. Remember, he brought him into the Garden of Eden. It was filled with fruit. They could take all the fruit that they wanted, all except from one tree. But they, that wasn't enough. They wanted the one from that one tree. Now he says, you're going to have to till the land and the land is not going to yield easily. So what he's told us is work is an integral part of our lives. And so if you ever come to me and say, well, you know, uh, um, I'm thinking maybe I should just go be a missionary and drop out of school. I'm going to tell you right up front, you're not going to drop out of school. You don't go to a professor and tell them you're going to drop out of college. Just not going to happen with me. And there's many students that I have kept in school said, you are going to finish your college education. You're going to do that. You're going to get through this thing. All right. And, and uh, because work is an integral part of our lives. And when you have that education, it, prepare, it gives you a lot more opportunities to work. Because if a man doesn't work, if a woman doesn't have something to keep her busy, or if a man doesn't have work, it's a hard thing in life. It's very hard to feel comfortable about where you are in life if you don't have, have, have uh, some sort of task to do that fulfills you. And he says, but it's going to be rough. There's going to be toil now. So that's what you've brought upon this. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. And then in verse 18, he says, and you will eat the plants of the field. So now he opens up to him before he was eat, they were eating fruit. Now he says, you're going to eat the plants of the field. So he expands the diet beyond just fruit. He expands it to the plants of the field. So he sp- expands it to the greenery. But still, they're maintaining a vegetarian diet. He later expands this to, to uh, a, 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 a carnivorous diet, a, a, an omnivore diet. He later expands this. But here, he expands it beyond just the fruit of the field. And then he reminds him, you're going to undergo now a physical death at some time as well. And so then in verse 20, now the man called his wife, wife's name Eve. And now already you see the dominance of the man over the woman. Remember what we said, when you have naming rights, that's a proclamation of dominance. You you would see kings rename people, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. These guys were renamed by the king, uh, by, by King Nebuchadnezzar. Cities were renamed by the conquering king. Now you see immediately this dominance of man over woman. He names his wife Eve. Now it's not a bad name, it just means living because she was mother of all the living. But he has naming rights over her. And so he proclaims what her name is going to be. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now remember, they clothed themselves they, they, they covered their genitals with, with fig leaves. And actually in the Middle East, the fig leaf is the biggest leaf that's there. But one fig leaf wasn't enough. And it says they sewed together fig leaves and they had covered themselves. That we read already. But God said that's not sufficient. God made garments for them. And he clothed them and he covered them. And so there you see actually the first sacrifice. You see the first physical sacrifice there. He made garments for them and he covered them and he clothed them. God did this. God is the one who did this. And 
You know, if you think about it from Adam and Eve's perspective, now they're seeing animals die because of their sin. There had to be the shedding of blood. And so you begin to see the, the beginnings of this. And God was the one who first offered these things up. And he clothed Adam and Eve. Now, rabbis take every story in the Bible and they, they embellish and expand on many, many stories. So, for example, these garments... So rabbis have, have, have different things that they've said in their writings. They say that these, these garments, actually Adam's garment was passed on and it went through Nimrod and then eventually ended up in Esau's closet. And, and uh, Rebecca put this, put this on, on uh, uh, Jacob when he appeared before his father for the blessing. And so <laughs> there's no scriptural basis for this, but... You know, this has certainly been their tradition and, and it's written. But uh, so many people will say, you know, I, I heard such and such and such and such a story. This is one of them. So rabbis hate to leave unconnected dots. And so you see that they will try to connect all sorts of things. But th these are traditions. Whether they're true or not, we don't know. We can't say that it's not true, but we have no biblical basis for it. And then God says in verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out and at the east of the garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So it says, it's really interesting the way, the way God says this. Behold, man has become like one of us. So this word here that is used, this one, is this word echad, this composite one. And, and, uh, um, and in fact, even, even this week I was speaking to my granddaughter who's eight years old who, who lives in Israel. So she speaks Hebrew and, and she speaks English. And I said, what, what does yachid mean? Because remember, Yahid is the singular one. She said, because she was counting and, you know, number one is Achad. And I said, so, so what does Yahid mean? She said, Yahid, that just means a person alone, one alone. And I said, that's perfect. You got it. That's exactly right. Because here, he says, like one of us, Achad, the composite one. And as believers in Christ, we understand this. We understand the Trinity right here. Now, it doesn't say Trinity, it doesn't say Three, but what it certainly speaks of is that there is more than one within this composite of God. One of us, the plural, knowing good and evil. So they know good and evil now, but they're unable to refrain from doing evil. Prior to the fall, Adam had a choice. Adam could do good or he could choose bad. He could choose evil. After the fall, Adam could only choose evil. His mind constantly went to evil. God can know both good and evil and choose only good. The scriptures say God cannot lie. Now, Paul talks about this in, in, in the book of, of Romans, Romans chapter 7. And in Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about the state of humankind as a result of this fall. He talks about the state of humankind. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, and what I want you to do is I want you to think about yourself. Think about yourself. Especially if you think you're pretty good. 
Think about yourself. Here's what Paul says in, 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 in Romans chapter 7, verse 19. For the good that I want to do, I do not do. But I practice very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing that I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Think about this. This is what Paul says. And I know from my own life, I know what is good and I know what is wrong. And so often I have a tendency to gravitate toward that which is wrong, toward that which is evil. I have a tendency to gravitate in that way toward that which is evil. If you are in Christ, there is the ability to overcome the evil. Not that you're always successful, but there's the ability to overcome the evil because he says, what will wretched man that I am, that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Verse 28, uh, I'm sorry, verse 25 of Romans chapter 7. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is Jesus who sets us free. Prior to this, we are stuck in sin. There is no way that we can get get through this. There is no way that we can get past this. We are absolutely stuck in sin. We are trapped in this thing. So, for example, in in Romans chapter 6, if you look in Romans chapter 6, we'll start reading from verse 6. Romans 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. If you don't know Christ, you are a slave to sin. What does a slave mean? It means that you can't release yourself from sin. Without Christ, you cannot overcome sin. It will overcome you without Christ. When you're in Christ, there is at least the ability to choose that which is right and walk in the right direction. In Romans chapter 6, verse 16 now, It says, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Now look in verse 19 of Romans chapter 6. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. It is only in Christ that we are saved. If you're an unbeliever, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ in your life, you will continue to be a slave to sin. When you accept Christ, there is the power to walk in that which is right. There is the power to choose and walk in that which was right. Because man, humans in themselves have a tendency that we can in ourselves only choose. We continually to gravitate toward evil. In Christ, we can choose that which is right and walk in it. This is what Adam now suffered with, this fate. And then it says, if we look back in Genesis chapter 3, 
In verse 22, it says that God says, because he knows good and evil, he was taking the tree of life from them. Remember in the garden, he set in the midst of it a tree of life. If Adam had eaten of that tree of life, he would live physically forever. He didn't want Adam and Eve to eat of that fruit and now live physically forever in this fallen state. He wanted their bodies to die off so that they could one day be resurrected properly. He says in verse, in, 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 in verse 22, he says, he stretched out his hand and take also from the tree, he might stretch out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Verse 23 of Romans 3. Therefore the Lord God sent him from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. Remember, he was taken from ground west of the Garden of Eden. Then God transported him eastward into the Garden of Eden, where there was comfort and the presence of God. In the cool of the day, he would visit with God each day. Now he is taken back out. He's taken to the ground where he was from. And it says that he was to cultivate that ground. And by the sweat of his brow, it would yield to him. In verse 24, so he drove the man out and at the east of the garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So now he didn't let anybody take of the tree of life. Now the garden of Eden was destroyed in the flood, but so that is all gone. But he says he drove man out. Man did not want to leave. This man did not want to have to leave the Garden of Eden. He had to drive him out. God sent him out of the garden, didn't want him to eat of the tree tree of life. God does this. A lot of times God makes things difficult and unpleasant in our lives to keep us from going in the wrong way. If something is going to be evil for us, a lot of times he keeps us from that. And I thank God for that. Uh, you, you know, there are decisions all the time that come up in life. And so often God redirects things. I thank God for the prayers of mine that he did not answer with a yes. I'll give you an example. I don't know if this has ever happened to any of you. Maybe, maybe not. But it, it used to be that before I was married, so often I would meet some Christian girl and I used to think, oh Lord, maybe this is the one I'm supposed to marry. And, and, uh, uh, and then I would start praying and I am so glad he kept me from those, from those relationships. So glad. There are things that he does in our lives to protect us. There are jobs that we really want to have. And if you pray, he will direct your path. You say, why didn't you open this job for me? Because he knows that which is best for us. To us, it looks like it'd be great to eat of what looks like that tree of life, but he knows that it would bring destruction. God knows what is best. Fundamentally, it is this. This tree in the Garden of Eden is the will of human beings to take that which is what they like for their own. And God wants us to trust him. How much of our lives, how much of our lives do we really control? How much is there that we really control? We control very little of our lives. Very little of our lives do we really control. Did you decide whether you were going to be born male or female? Did you decide who your parents were going to be? Did you decide what year you were going to be born and what generation? 
Did you decide what you were going to look like? The vast majority of things that come at us in life, we don't decide upon. God does. And yet, we constantly want to take for our own the decisions that are His. And He says, trust me. Trust me. We are to trust the Lord and in what He has for us. If you walk with Jesus, I call to you, trust Him. One of the things that I've seen over my life, so for 40 years I've known Jesus Christ, is constantly He renews to me. Trust me. I trust Him. People say, you know, look what this person is going through. Look what's happening. I say, look, I trust Him. I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord when people die. I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord for their, for, for their eternity. I trust the Lord. He wants us to learn to trust Him. When He says, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil will not be good for you, it will cause you much pain, I am to trust Him. I trust Him. I trust that He'll take care of my career. I am constantly dependent upon Him. I have to raise money. I have to raise money to feed 30 or 40 people that work for me. And not just supply for them, for, for the feeding of them and their families. I have to pay their tuition through my research grants. I have to pay their workers' compensation through my research grants. So I, so I have to, and then I have to pay the indirect cost to the university, which is 66%. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of indirect cost the university charges me to allow a person to work in the laboratories which they own. So I have to raise all this money. So it is a constant area of trust. You say, oh, well, you know, money just gets dumped upon you. For any of you who have worked in my lab, you know that's not the case at all. It is a constant struggle, but I am to trust Him. I am to trust Him. And it's the same in your life. You are to trust Him. There's going to come days when you sit down to pay the family bills, and you're going to like, how am I ever going to get through this? And I'll tell you, I look back, I've been married 36 years, and I look back, especially in the first 10 years of our marriage, I don't know how we made it each month, just how we got through it each month, where we had, we had these four kids, and we had, we had uh, Christian schools we were paying for, and all these things coming at us, and, and, and just a professor's salary, and I thought, how were we going to make it? And as I look back, I see the hand of God. Trust Him. Trust Him. Do not choose evil. Trust in Him. And He is the one who will see you through. This is what the Garden of Eden teaches us, that we are to trust Him, that He knows what's best for us. And one day, when you sit down to pay the family bills, and your car breaks down, and it's like $2,000 to get it fixed, and you're going to be like, what am I going to do? And I was cashing in savings bonds that my my grandparents had given me from the time I was a little kid, and I was cashing them in to pay for the car so that I could get to work to pay for my family. But we got through. How we got through, I do not know, other than the hand of the Lord. The hand of the Lord will get you through. He puts us in situations to trust Him. He says, trust me, and I will get you through. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, for the grace upon us. And Lord, I pray for these young people that they would learn to trust you. And Father, I pray that when the things in life come at them, 
that they would learn to trust you, that your word is true, that you would sustain them and care for them. And Lord, I pray for those here who do not know you, that this very day they would say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. I am not able to control myself from sin. Father, that they would realize that they are slaves to sin. And Father, that they would cry out to Jesus, Lord, save my soul this day, Lord Jesus, so that I need not be a slave to sin. Father, I pray that you would give them victory and save their souls this day. Father, I pray for a conversion this very day among this very people. And I lift that up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.